Hi, I'm Jo Clark, and thanks so much for joining me today. This is the Redefining Midlife podcast, a podcast designed for the 40 plus woman who is determined to challenge society's myths and beliefs around midlife. It's for the woman who is inspired and ready to define midlife her way. Join me each week as I chat to health and wellness experts for up-to-date information on how to live well, as well as some special conversations with incredible everyday women redefining what midlife can look like. Here's to making our next half of life even better than the first. Sally Alton grew up in rural New South Wales, studied at a nearby ag college and wanted to be a farmer's wife. So how on earth did she end up meeting a king, cooking for a prince and being chased by pirates on the Red Sea? Now, Sally's incredible stories sound like they've come straight out of a Hollywood blockbuster, and she shares her life adventures in such an easy, matter-of-fact way that it left me saying, wow, far too often during our conversation. Today, Sal's not living or working on the high seas. Instead, she's living a much quieter life with a husband and two daughters. Yet, in the past 10 years, she's managed to create and build a thriving business that began with just $4,000 and working from the back of her garage. Now, Sal is a woman who is willing to be brave and take bold action. And our conversation left me wondering what on earth the next few chapters of her life story are going to look like. She is truly an inspirational woman that you cannot help but admire. And I know that this episode of the podcast is going to be a popular one for listeners. So be sure to share it with someone else who would really love it as well. Enjoy our chat. A big welcome to Redefining Midlife podcast, Sally. It's great to have you here. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, oh, it's a pleasure. We've got a lot to talk about and I know this is going to be a story that so many women are just going to be hanging on the edge of their seats listening to all of your life adventures. But before we start on all of the things that happened when you were a woman in your 20s and 30s, I really want to bring us back to what life was like growing up for you because what your childhood was like often forms what the woman we're going to be is like. So tell me more about your childhood growing up and where that happened. Um, well, I grew mostly up in Dubbo, country New South Wales. My dad was a general manager for a tractor company and that did broad acre farming. And my mum had a school uniform shop and I'm the middle child. I've got an older brother and a younger sister. And uh, yeah, childhood was idyllic. Yeah, we had a really good, you know, upbringing in a small town at the time. Yeah, so yeah. fond memories of... Um, yeah, going to school and yeah, all the, the good things that happen when you um, grow up in a country town. Yeah. Do you ever go back to the country town? That like, have you got family and friends still living? Yeah, my mum's still there. So I try and get back uh, once every couple of years. She comes up here a lot because Noosa yep. is more, yeah. Um, yeah, more of a holiday place for her to come to and enjoy and come and see the kids. So yeah, so I try and get back once every couple of years. Yeah, nice. try and take the, the family as well. Yeah. yeah, can you picture yourself as a child? Because sometimes when I go back to my old hometown, I, I you know mm. I drive mm. past the house that I grew up in, and I often oh, think, oh yes, um, yeah. As soon as you walk into Mum's house, it's you know you can remember the times of what happened. You know the animals that you know, that we had the dog and the cockatoos and yeah. Um, and we used to walk to school, you know, my daughter's childhood is very different from mine. So we used to walk and ride to school. Yeah. And we were in the pool every afternoon. As soon as we got home, we were in the pool during the yeah. summer. So, And yeah. then also we would go up the street to lollies from the lolly shop. 
Couldn't you buy a lot for 20 cents back then? You'd get three for five cents or four for five. Yeah, it was amazing what you used to be able to get. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, um, and I played hockey and squash and did all the, you know, usual sports and swam Mm -hmm. and, yeah, so uh, it was a really happy childhood. Yes. So, Sal, you were born with a hearing impairment and you've worn hearing aids since the age of three. I just know that as a teacher from of many decades, how we deal with children who have got um, impairments or difficulties um, with learning or any sort of disability, how it's catered for now compared to how it was catered for when I first started teaching, let alone when you add on, you know, another decade and a half. So how yeah. is it for you growing up? Um, yeah, it had its challenges for sure. It's actually my neighbour that told mum that she thought I was deaf. It was quite funny. And mum said, oh, no, no, she's fine. And But it, it occurred that when I did the hearing test that I was lip reading. Wow. And I was just, I was clever enough to pass all the tests. Um, but when I was three, they said, yes, you definitely had to wear hearing aids in one ear. And then later in life, I, it was discovered I was deaf in both, both ears. Um, so I've been wearing hearing aids since the age of three. So I don't hear the high pitch sounds. So if the phone, if I have my hearing aids off and the phone is in another room, I can't hear it ringing. Or um, I, I lip read all the time. So if somebody's in another room talking to me, I can hear them, but I don't know what they've said. So I have to go into that room to have that conversation with them and ask them to repeat what they said. Growing up, it definitely had its challenges. I got teased a lot. I was taken out of class to go and to do speech therapy because I couldn't say my R's and some other sounds so I always remember walking to school and I was probably 10 years old and the year six boys was calling me deafy 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 and I remember going home and crying to mum and mum said well next time they say that just say huh what did you say I didn't hear you so that's how I overcome that brilliant um, yeah and that's it's funny those lessons that I learned from mum back then I also passed those sort of lessons on to my girls I remember Mm -hmm. those really clearly you know when I was being teased and um, how to deal with it yeah yeah Yeah. so it's Um, almost turning what you've got and I and I've said that to you before that having having dealt with what you've dealt with as a young child with having a, a hearing impairment it's given you that tenacity. It's given you that resilience and probably the courage to try things that maybe other people wouldn't. So in one way, it's been almost like a superpower and a gift for you. Yeah, you're right. Definitely. Absolutely. Always been, um, yeah, you have to try and prove yourself to, yeah. to overcome it. I always hit it when I was a child. I didn't like being pointed out that I was you know, I had I wore hearing aids and I was there. I didn't oh, enjoy want to be that different, do you? That's that's yeah, yeah. And I hated mm. being pulled out of class. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I just couldn't say some words because I simply just weren't hearing them. Yes. I mean, the hearing aids, the hearing aids that we have today are completely different to the hearing aids that I had growing up. You, they're they're amazing technology mm. today. Yes. So I can um, listen to music from my phone into my hearing aids. I can answer calls with my hearing aids if I wanted to. Really? There's so many different things. Yeah, so I go to the gym and walk on the walking machine and um, and just push play. I don't have AirPods. I've got hearing aids. So, huh. yeah. That's amazing. Um, yeah, technology has come a long way. Yeah, um, yeah. And instead of the, you know, the wax sort of moulds that, that, that we were given, you used mm-hmm. to make your ears sweat all the time, but these hearing aids today, we don't have that issue. Yeah either so oh and now tell me now we were talking about that I, I sort of I think I put the word superpower in somewhere but 
being able to lip read, mate, that would be a very handy superpower. Sometimes that it has sometimes. come in handy, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I can look across a room at a restaurant and, you know, gauge what people are talking about. Yeah, yeah. so you yeah. can use it for good or evil, no doubt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so what was your dreams and, you know, the big dreams that you might have had and ambitions that you had when you, know, you were in your late teens or early 20s? What did you imagine your life was going to look like? Well, I always was somebody that wrote my goals down and I still, I found a list probably about uh, four or five years ago in my drawer of a list of 30 things I wanted to do in my life when I was 18. Oh, that's. And that's I've cool. always been one of those people to write down set goals because yeah. um, my dad, he was very much a person who instilled goals and had affirmation cards. I still have his affirmation cards today. So it was interesting to look back. I think when you write things down, and you look at them regularly, those things will happen for mm, you yeah. because it's in the subconscious. That's really. right. Yeah. So there were a lot of dreams that have, um, have you know, those old goals have been achieved for sure. Yeah. There's still a few on there, but I've given up on those, like learning the piano. I just don't have that ability. Yeah. Or uh, learning another language. I'm not very good at that because of my hearing. I just yes. don't pick up that naturally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but definitely traveling the world, all the different countries that I wanted to go to, I've been to. Um, yeah. So Isn't that a, a really, really good tool to have? Is keep, mm -hmm. And I still write down my dreams. Me too. Yeah. yeah Me too. It's really and it's one of those things where I think you look back in, in some of the dreams and you think, well, you're either going to do it or you're going to dump it. So what are you going if you and if you choose to do it, work towards it. And if you choose to dump it, then replace it with with a new dream. Something else. Yeah. yeah. Yep. One. Yeah. Yeah. So I've always been a goal goal orientated. Yeah. Brilliant. And what did you see yourself doing? Did you want to stay where you were? Did you, you know, like you talked about you had listed down a number of of countries? Yeah, well, I definitely wanted to travel. Um yes. when I left school, I went to Sydney, did a travel course. And then um, when I finished the course, I could type really well. And then I applied for a job and it was paying 13000 a year. And I just rang mum and said, I can't live in Sydney on 13000 a year. She said, well, that was a waste of money. Then come home. So I came back to Dubbo and I applied to go to Orange Ag College. So I thought, oh, maybe I'll marry a farmer. I want to live on the land. So I went to Orange Ag and I had a great couple of years, but I met another guy that wasn't you know, from the land and I ended up being engaged to him and then that all fell apart and then I took off and left overseas. Yeah. And so for the next couple of years, from the age of 21 to 26, I was just wandering, really. Mm. I was coming to him from overseas. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah. And then um, I just fell in love with food for some reason and yeah, started how having did, How did that start, Sal? Like, I, I'm well, really interested in where that Yeah, um, I don't know. I just... Just started dining out and, yeah, I wasn't really interested in food when I was growing up and it wasn't until I was about 23, 24, I really discovered a love of food. I'm like, where have I been, yeah. you know? Yeah. I was a good cook. She she cooked varieties of different meals. Um, yeah, I just wasn't interested. And then all of a sudden I just fell in love with food and decided, well, I'm going to go and learn to cook. I remember going down Portobello Road and seeing a book for cook's shop and I remember walking in there and it was just, I, I love books and walking in there and the smell was just wonderful being in a bookshop and somebody was cooking at the back of the shop and I thought and that I thought oh this shop would be amazing in Australia yeah uh, 
And so they were just cooking recipes from the books they were selling. Oh, really? Awesome concept. Yeah, it's still there, I think. Um, So I came back and I decided that's what I wanted to do. And I saved up enough money to go to back to England and do a one month cooking course in Froome near Bath. And a job came through there cooking for some German sailors at the Admiral's Cup, which is like, I guess, America's Cup in the UK, though. Uh Um, So I didn't know anything about sailing. And I ended up going, I got the job and went down to Cowes, which is on the Isle of Wight. And ended up in this house on the Esplanade for two weeks cooking for 17 German sailors. And they went sailing every day while I was at back at the house cooking yep. meals. And, you know, we, there were two of us. We did fully cooked breakfast, packed lunch and three-course meal every night. I would stand out the front of the house watching all these sailing boats going up and down, racing each other. And I just thought, oh, my God, these guys get paid to do it. I couldn't believe they could get paid. Mm. I'd never been exposed to this life before. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I decided, well, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to jump on a boat. And because uh, these guys that I was cooking for were just enjoying life, having this amazing time sailing around the world. And I wanted a piece How of that. How did you then get in? Okay, that, that's your that's the eye-opening part for you. So you got to do that, yeah. but you weren't actually on the boat. How? What was the end for you to get onto some of these amazing super yachts? I I knew I had to go and learn to sail. So I came back to Australia and um, I worked on Sydney Harbour for a while, just uh, freelancing on boats. So catering for corporate parties, basically, going around the harbour, which was a lot of fun. And New Year's Eve was amazing being on the boats on the harbour. And then I went up to the Whitsundays, went to Ellie Beach, and I found a job cooking on a 51-foot Veneto sailing boat. So it was a sort of a luxury sort of style holiday where there was a, a skipper and myself, we looked after the guests who hired the boat. Right. And we would go out for how many days that they hired the boat for and I would cook and and the skipper, you know, sailed the boat for them. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's how I ended up on boats basically. And from there I, I jumped on another boat, went up to the Solomon Islands and then I came back down to Sydney and, and um, I was still working on the harbour but I was also working in a shop called Pasta Pantry and they asked me to become manager of their city store so I ended up I I took a break for a year from yachting and ended up running a shop being with about 12 staff it was we were making um a thousand cups of coffee a day and selling a thousand tubs of pasta a day it was pretty full on yes and I had applied for a job the previous year for a boat that's based in Turkey and the skipper rang me and said would you be interested this time the chef's left and I said when can I, um, you know, when can I come? So I um, broke the news to the uh, owner of Pasta Pantry and he said, I'd take it as well. So that was sort of a relief. And I flew out to Turkey and ended up on a boat there and I ended up staying in the Med for about five years then, yeah. I just love the way that you just have that that rolls off your tongue. I just stayed there for five years. (laughs) (laughs) And so were you. I'm just listening there going, oh, God. Yeah, it was a, it was pretty amazing. Yes, so yes. That, that first boat, I mean, was uh, it was all girl crew and a male oh. captain. Yep, he, he didn't want any male crew, and that was a lady owner, and she was involved in um, she was a patron for um, an organisation that did underwater archaeology. So mm. we went to a couple of sites where they were bringing up two thousand year old boats. Oh, oh is that right? Yeah. 
So they were bringing up fully intact amphoras and it was just incredible to, you know, it, this was off the coast of um, Turkey near Bodrum. Uh-huh. So that was pretty interesting. And then that, that job finished because that was just a six-month job. That was during the Sydney Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then I went to, um, I was told to go to, to Mallorca. And so I ended up in Parma, Mallorca, and I walked into a bar. And as you do, and um, I just started talking to people. I'm looking for a job. And they went, well, go and see that guy. So I went and saw that guy. And I ended up on a boat. They were looking for a chef to help crew a boat going from Mallorca to the Maldives. So I was just delivery crew. Oh, if I have to, is that what it was? Yeah. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so we delivered a boat from Mallorca to the Maldives and that was an exciting adventure. We went from Mallorca to Malta, had a couple of days there and then down to uh, across to Egypt and then we were guided through the Suez Canal. We had to, you know, you actually bribe. You have to take, be prepared with money. And oh, is that cigarettes. right? Yeah, you bribe the pilots. You give them, you give them. Oh uh, wow! To to get the next in line type thing. Okay. Yeah. And then we headed down the Red Sea, and then we had um, and when it was pretty hot going down the Red Sea at yes. that time of year, uh, and then we had um, two longboats started chasing us, and um, we were like, oh, we've got, you know, th- these are pirates. So, um, yeah, I always remember the look on the captain's face was like fear. And um, I was a bit oblivious, I was a bit, um, you know, naive, I could say, you know. Maybe a good um, thing. What was actually happening. Mm. And um, one of the crew said to me, you go and hide. If they come up even closer, you go and hide in the cupboard downstairs. And, um, yeah, and unfortunately for us, one of the boats eventually just stopped and the other one just um, diverted away. Uh, oh. They were probably chasing us for a good 15, 20 minutes. And the plan was we we gathered what they were doing was they would overtake the boat, throw a rope from one long boat to the other and drag it under and stop the propeller that way. Really? That's what they were doing, yeah. So, so, that's, so quite, pretty... that's quite common because you hear pirates and you just have this fantasised view of, you know, Pirates mm. of the Caribbean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then they were carrying guns as well. So, uh, and oh. we had no weapons on board. So it was decided that the next port we would buy weapons. That's another story. I'm so sure anyway, it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we ended up in Djibouti and the fridges broke down. So we had all this meat that we ended up giving away to a community. Uh-huh. Um, and apparently the smell of meat could be smelt for days on end. <laughs> you know, of, of cooking meat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Djibouti was an eye-opener. Um, yeah, it could be a bit of a scary place. Mm. It's down the bottom of the Red Sea. And then we left there and sailed through the Gulf of Aden and we were surrounded by one of, yeah, hundreds and hundreds of dolphins. That was one of my fondest memories. Yeah, oh, that was pretty special. Like yeah. they just ran with us for for a long time. I, I remember filming it all. And then we got to Oman. We decided to stop there and and that's when we found um, <laughs> a gun to buy. <laughs> you can buy them in the markets. <laughs> and um, it was a 1942 Len Enfield rifle. <laughs> oh, how amazing. <laughs> so, we, we practiced on the way out of Oman, 
you know, we threw over a, a, a plastic um, container tied on a line yeah. and we tried shooting it, but no, the, um, it wouldn't shoot straight. So we, <laughs> we thought this isn't going to save us. <laughs> Did you end up throwing it overboard? We just hope we can go fast enough if we get chased. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So um, we were meant to be going to the Seychelles, but we ended up going to the Maldives because the weather was pretty bad and we didn't want to go around the, the coast of Socotra um, and, you know, because that's where it was. They were, we were definitely going to run into pirates there as well. Mm. Um, yeah, we didn't want to risk our chances. But um, those three days going to the Maldives, we rolled and we rolled and we rolled. It was pretty hairy. Yeah. But you end up getting used to it. You just, your whole body just rolls with the boat. Um, and it rolled so, so you bad. obviously don't, Sal, you don't obviously suffer from mo uh, like No, fortunately. Yeah. yeah. Your body adjusts. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we rolled. And I remember we hit a wave quite badly and the captain was sitting in the captain's chair and the, cap the whole chair just bent over and he fell out of the chair. <laughs> God. <laughs> it was a funny boat, that one. We had a lot of um, adventures on that one. Yeah. So do you look back now, like, I'm, I'm just thinking not now, but, but, you know, the experience that you had with the pirate, did you look back, you know, a day or so afterwards and go, oh, my God? Oh, totally. Because, like I said, I was really green, really green at, um, you know, my world around me. Yeah. I was just up for having a great time and ex experiencing life to the fullest, but not realizing what could happen so mm. no that's that yeah. that is quite an amazing story but and mm. you were talking about you would hope that your boat would be able to outpace any other similar experience should it happen again which leads me on to something else you had a, a record you you were in a boat that had a, a yes. record of of speed tell us so about after after that job, when we got to Maldives, I flew to Norway because um, a skipper called me and he said, I heard about you and I hear that you're looking for a job. And I went, okay, all right. So I flew to Norway and I spent the next three years working for a Norwegian chap. He was the nicest fellow. It was the best boat. We had such a great time on that boat. Mm -hmm. It was a 105-foot Wally yacht. It was made of carbon fibre. So it was built for speed. It was one of the very – it was the very first Wally built I think so Wally is a brand of boats mm -hmm. um, so that was built in about 95 I think so I joined that boat uh, 2001 and um, so it was pretty iconic I hope you see it when you when you yes. have wines at the Hotel de Soube in Saint-Tropez in the next couple of weeks <laughs> I hope um, I yeah, so the Norwegian owner, he loved to race that boat. So he, would, he wouldn't he would stay on the boat. He would just, we would anchor out the front of his summer house or uh -huh. his house in Oslo or his house in Saint-Tropez. And um, he would just ring the boat and say, let's sail now. I've got eight guests coming and we would love Thai food today for lunch. Oh, wow. So uh, we would head out and I would have to cook underway. So we would really? be heaving over, but the, I mean, the, the stove and the oven gimbaled, of course, so everything could yeah. be done. So you're balancing and I would, um, yeah, cook the whole meal underway and then we would anchor because he would just want to be sailing. Yes. And then anchor and then I would, you know, get the crew to help me serve up the dinner, the lunch and then yeah. they would have a lovely lunch and then we would sail back. And then he wanted to do this speed record from Saint-Tropez to Monaco. 
after we just finished racing in um, a regatta in Saint-Tropez. Which Sounds is in like another world. I'm, 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 I don't know. Yeah. I have to do an oh wow count. I think at the end of this podcast, I'm just listening <laughs> to your stories. Going, <laughs> yeah. So um and uh, yeah. So and we did it. So we had 26 Amazing. people on board, and I had to cook for them all. We left Centre Bay, and I yeah, cooked. You know, but, but but all these people on board were race people. They were yes. Um, you know, they're all professional sailors including an Australian woman who was the navigator, mm. which was exciting to have another woman on board. Mm. So, yeah, and we made a speed record that night. So it took, oh, I can't remember, 22 hours or something. Uh, yeah. There was so much water coming over the boat that there was water coming straight into the galley. It leaked wow. through the hatches. Yeah. So the the, um, the crew had to seal up their, their hatches. Yes. Yeah. And that was at the back of the galley, was at the back of the boat. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of water, but it was terribly exciting and a lot of fun. I don't think anybody slept that night. Yeah. Oh, well, I can imagine they wouldn't. Yeah. yeah, it was a lot of fun. Oh my goodness. Okay, so tell me, you. This is also another another thing I know about you, but I don't know the story behind it. Mm-hmm. So you've also met a king and you've cooked for a prince. Do tell. Oh well, the king was when I first um, when I got the job cooking for seventeen German sailors. Probably about day five, I was sitting in the front room while all the, the sailors were out sailing. I picked up a yawning magazine and inside there was an article on my, the, the guy that I was cooking for and he made his money in pharmaceuticals, I think it was, and he was a good friend of the king's, the king of Norway. And um, at the time I didn't know that he was good friends with him. So we that uh, probably a couple of nights later, he's a couple of days later, he said to me, um, Sally, we're going to the Royal Yacht Squadron. Would you like to come? And you can come as my partner. And I said, sure. I had no idea what the Royal Yacht Squadron was. I'm just a girl from Dubbo. Anyway, fortunately, I had something to wear because my brother. Your tagline, I'm just a girl from Dubbo. That's gorgeous. I, I, know, I had no idea. I was totally <laughs> oblivious to this, this life, this, you know, how the other oh. people live. Anyway, we, uh, yeah, we ended up, we had cocktails and all this sort of thing. It was very nice and very fancy. I felt a little bit out of my comfort zone. But anyway, he he introduced me to his friend, um, Harold, which was the king of Norway. And I just said hello and, yeah, so that was that. And then the prince story, well, that was that was really a funny one. That was back in the Whit Sundays when I worked on this 51-foot Beneteau. Mm-hmm. Um, the guests that we had were from Austria and there were five of them. There were two couples and a, um, a chap on his own. He would have been about 70 at the time. Anyway, about day three, the couple, one of the couples said to me, do you know who he is? And I said, no, I don't know who he is. And he said, well, he's actually a prince. His name is Prince George Furstenberg and he is a prince in Austria. Ooh. So I was just like, Wow, okay. And he was single and he was looking for a new wife. So what did I do that night? You say, hello, Sal, I'm just a girl from Dubbo. (laughs) No, 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 no. I got in the the tender because back then, 1998, you couldn't get very good reception. So I got in the tender probably about 9 o'clock at night and drove into a passage so I could get reception, so I could bring my mum because mum was widowed at the age of 45. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, mum, I found your new, a new husband. Oh, love it. 
told George. I mean, George was a lovely guy. And he, I said, would you like to meet my mum? Oh, <laughs> Sadly, it didn't eventuate. Uh, oh, well, so, so you're not, yeah, you're not uh, now related to royalty by the sounds of it. No, not related. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So you have been, have you counted up the number of countries that you've actually been to? No. That would be really interesting. Been to a few. Mate, you've rolled off a few off your tongue just in in the short time that we've been chatting here. So, yeah, there would be a lot. Yeah. So um, after I did the race boat, I jumped on another boat in New Zealand and sailed across the Southern Ocean as delivery crew Mm. um, with a really good friend of mine, Son. And um, we went around Cape Horn. We actually motored around around Cape Horn because the wind dropped out after 23 days of sailing. Oh. Um, it was a bit ironic, wasn't it? Yes. Um, and then we went up the, the, the Beagle Channel and we anchored in Ushuaia and we didn't know when the owner was coming because the deal was when the owner came, we had to get off the delivery crew and then we would come back when he got off. So um, he finally arrived and so Son and I got off and we went hiking in Torres Paines for um, five days in Chile and then up to Buenos Aires shopping in Uruguay and then finally we got the phone call two weeks later saying come back to the boat so we went back to the boat and sailed up that coastline to Buenos Aires yeah um, to Rio and all the way up and yeah. um, and I was the only person on the boat that never crossed uh, crossed the equator before so I got christened oh is there a special and, ceremony for that? Oh, my God. Is there? I a, knew there'd be a story in it somewhere. Yeah. Okay. So the beans. They tied me up to the stern uh-huh. and all of them dressed up as King Neptune <laughs> and his bitches, they called themselves. And um, a couple of days before, I'd caught a mahi-mai off oh. the um, coast of Brazil. Yes. And um, unknown to me, they kept the head and the skin and the guts in a container in um, warming up, fermenting oh, no. in the engine room, and then they crowned me with the head, and, they, <laughs> and the skin was wrapped around my neck, oh. and then I had to confess to all my sins. <laughs> oh. Yeah, they, they they did a good number on me. Yeah. <laughs> it took three days to wash the smell out of my Oh, hair. it would. But oh. some classic photos, really oh. good. You got them still? <laughs> yes. Oh, those are I have to see one day. That's amazing. Yeah. So is it a fairly tight knit, like you were saying, such and such rang and they knew, you know, they wanted, they knew of you. Is it a fairly tight knit community of people who do what you were doing and, and you know, still today? Yeah, yeah. Like I don't know anybody's last names. We all know such and such from which boat they worked on. Right. Okay. So, um, yeah. Um, when I sort of left yachting, Facebook had just started. So uh-huh. that's 2007. Yes. And that's when I started to learn everybody's last names. <laughs> yeah, isn't that funny? Yeah. Yes. Are you in contact with some of them today? Oh, absolutely. There's a great, uh, a lot of my friends are in New Zealand mm-hmm. and a lot are still in Mallorca. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they're, they're all scattered around the world. There's a few here in Australia as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a great group in Auckland that I'm still in contact with. Yeah. Oh, that's special. And they still, you know, have all their holidays together. All their yes. kids are growing up together. Yeah, huh. it's really nice. Oh, yeah. that's lovely. So you decided to take a six-month break from life on the seas and swap it for living in a small village in the Abruzzo. I got that yeah. right, I think. So... I'm sure you can say Abruzzo, <laughs> mountains in Italy. Can you tell me why you chose that spot 
and some um, of the experience you had living there. Well, yeah, after um, being christened on the equator, we ended up in the Caribbean for five, six weeks. And then I sailed on, I jumped on another boat and sailed across the Atlantic. And by then I just sailed, you know, to pick uh, two thirds of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just needed a break. I was living in confined space when, you know, always living with people. And I just decided to take a break. And, and the friends, some friends of mine were moving to Italy and um, that, they were yachties as well. And they wanted to renovate a house and just live the Italian lifestyle. So I went over with them. But I went to a different village from where they were. So we were about 20 minutes apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, found a little apartment with views of the Grand San Sasso Mountains. And um, I decided I wanted to write my book about these adventures that I had. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, one day I'd like to just pass them on. If I had children, that I'd pass them on to them and share it with friends and family. And I really wasn't on my own for very long. I had friends coming. A lot of yachty friends came and stayed and we yeah. just went on adventures together and explored the region and mum came and some of her friends came as well and my sister and, yeah. So, um, and I just, it was just so lovely to get up in the morning and watch the village come alive for what they were doing and I had no idea but one morning they'd be all making passata. It was just decided they'd make passata that day. And I'm like, well, why do you all get up at the sa- four o'clock to go and make passata? But that's, they were doing it. It's all to do with the seasons. Their food yes. has been made according to the seasons. Um, a friend of mine came and stayed and she said, what are you doing all day long? And I went, I don't just enjoy it. So go up the road and have a look. So she walked up the road and she was gone for ages. And I went to find her and she was sitting there roasting capsicums with the old ladies. Oh, they wow. were just roasting them all and peeling them. And so oh, she sat down and lovely. talked to them. Yeah, yeah, it was lovely. Yeah. And my mum and her friend Jet came as well. And um, they would walk up the hill and pinch all the figs off the trees. And, <laughs> and then a little, a lovely lady called Italia. She was 89 and she taught me how to make pasta her way. So, yeah. so That's really special. Welcome, isn't it? Yeah, I was welcome yeah. to a few ladies' kitchens and they taught me how, some of their recipes. Yeah, and do you still really use nice. those recipes now? Is it something that is a as a go? I haven't made pasta since. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fairly fairly intensive. Yeah, but um, def- yeah, if I had more time, I'd definitely make yeah more food yeah. Mm, like that. Yeah. Oh, that's but amazing. the food is so beautiful. It tastes so different from here. Yes. Yeah. Mm, the sun and the earth. Yeah. It does, isn't it? And I, I think it's coming from pe- the the um. It's not broad scale. That we have, you know, we get our food and it's, and it's come from a you know, a farmer who's feeding thousands of people, whereas where you were, they were just feeding themselves and, and their family and some of the other villages. So it's a completely different way of, of growing and the intention behind it. Yeah, it would have been. yeah, at the time it's a bit sad because a lot of the young people had left the village, so it was full of old people. Okay. Um, you know, and a lot of apartments were empty. So I, I hope that's turning and people are going back yes. to the old ways. Yes. yes. No. Uh, um, Will you ever go back there, do you think? Oh, absolutely. I'm still in touch with the people. Oh. Um, that own, there's always a main house of a village. Yes. And um, the main house was owned by an Italian lady and her English husband. So I was very fortunate that they spoke English because yep. I, I couldn't speak the dialect at all. Mm. I couldn't understand the dialect that was spoken in that village. So they would obviously translate a lot for me. And yep. there was a lot of, you know, sign language. So I keep in t- contact with them, but they don't live there anymore. But, but that house still had the old olive oil mill inside in the bottom. So oh, people in the old days used to take their olives to the house 
and then they would mill it for them and create the olive oil. And then we also made wine, got in and, you know, yeah, with your feet first, squashing the grapes and doing that as well. Yeah. Oh, sensory That's overload. Gorgeous. Hey? I said sensory yeah. overload. Mm, mm. Yeah, it was, it was a really lovely time. Yeah, mm. nice and quiet and just slowed down. Yes. Yeah, yeah well, it would have been not, after the fast pace. Roses. Yeah. Mm. Yes, yeah. Yeah. just what you needed. So just changing tack slightly. So I, I, mm. I thought, you know, over the years you would have had your fair share of romances, uh, you know, being on these. Oh, yes. Yes. And, and the, but I imagine, again, because of your gypsy lifestyle, it'd be hard to maintain any long-term relationship because you wouldn't know where you're going to be at any point in time. So how did you come to meet your husband, Mark? Um, I was in the Caribbean. By this stage, I was working for a Canadian guy on his $25 million sailing boat. 25 million? Mm, 120 foot sailboat. Okay. Beautiful. Really beautiful. I actually had my own cabin on this boat, which was something extraordinary. You don't get that. There were five crew and their boat was owned by Ron Joyce and he was the one that set up all the Timothy Horton donut shops in Canada. Mm -hmm. Uh, 3,000 stores. Oh. Yeah. So he'd sold it out to Wendy's by the time I'd met him. Right. And he would fly down and we would um, go day day sailing and he would live aboard and, you know. Mm -hmm. So we were in Barbados uh, a good three, four months and we had Christmas with him and his 30-year-old girlfriend <laughs> and I just went, you know what, I'm done. I don't need to have my Christmas with, you know. Yeah. I, I said that 10 years by then was it's time to go home. I just had that feeling. I didn't want to have yeah. Christmas with these strangers. Yeah. I thought, no, it's time to go back to my family. So I decided to put myself on RSVP. Um, I, I, t- I told the captain, I said, I'll give you three months' notice. I'm ready to go. I'll go, I'll go home in March. And he said, okay. So I put myself on RSVP and Mark popped up. The very next day, I wasn't looking for romance. I was just looking for somebody to go sailing and diving with. And then he, um, I said, oh, tell me more about yourself. So he wrote me this really nice letter. And he'd lived in China and he'd just moved back to Australia. And I thought, oh, this guy's a really interesting guy and he likes boating. So, um, yeah, we spoke to each other or we wrote to each other uh, for four or five weeks before I actually spoke to him on the phone. And then we spoke to each other every day. And then so by the time, from the moment I met him online, 10 weeks later, I'd moved to Brisbane. I'd fly on into Brisbane. I'd gone to Dubbo first, seen mum, yes. flew up to Brisbane, walked off the plane, looked at him and I went, oh, my God. And that was it. I couldn't talk. Oh. Didn't say a word. I said, you're going to have to talk. So I can't. I'm just speechless. So so was he thinking, is, is this good or bad? <laughs> Okay. Anyway, he did. He did talk, and I never left. Oh, <laughs> oh wow! So it's funny, story. you know, when you know. Yes. Yep. Oh, that's be. lovely. That's yeah. Lovely. Uh, and and you had your girls later in life because of of the life that you'd led prior to that, and you yeah. moved to Noosa on the Sunshine Coast ten years ago. So such a, after such a long time of living overseas, the adventure, the freedom. How hard was that then to suddenly live in one place and be a mother, be a wife and just have those constraints? Was it, Were you ready for it and craving for it and it was easy or were there some challenges? Um, I Well, we had six years in Brisbane before we moved to Noosa. Right. 
Yeah, so um, those first three, four years were really hard. I missed my friends. Mm. I really did. Um, and missed friendships that were that we had a history yes. of those yachting days and those adventures and that's what we talked about. And I really missed that a lot and finding my um, group of friends that we had similar interest in. And, I mean, um, I, I met some great people in Brisbane, but we didn't want to live in Brisbane. We decided we wanted to you know, go north and we looked at different places and we settled on Noosa, fortunately, because I love it here and so does Mark. And um, it wasn't until we were here that I started making some more friends that we had. And I think when you have children, when you start having children, then you build those relationships with those people. And I can see all my friends that I've made since we've moved here. They're the ones I'm going to retire with and be with. You know, they're the ones I'm going to be playing tennis with when I'm 65, 70, that sort of thing. Yeah, Yeah, so... Um, but we, we both had our girls in Brisbane mm-hmm. before we moved up here. Now 18 months and six months old when we moved up here. And when we got here, I said to Mark, I really want to have my own business. I'd already had a business in Brisbane and I sold it because I wanted to spend the time with the girls. And then I was starting to get itchy feet and I really wanted to do something. So I thought, I want a coastal homeware store. I really started to fall in love with homewares. And then I realised nobody's doing vintage. Nobody's doing antiques in the coastal style like specialising in that and that's when I decided that was it that was my light bulb light bulb moment that I would do that so you've just celebrated coastal vintage is what you end up calling your business yeah you've just celebrated 10 years so how did you saw a gap in the market how did the business actually start um well I started buying I had four thousand dollars and I just started buying products that I loved some were trial and error that didn't really work some were like yeah, that I loved and I knew that they would be loved by other people. Um, and I just uh, I worked for three months on a website when I could in between when the girls were daycare because I was having two, day, two days a week of daycare. Um, yeah, I launched the website and from day one I had sales. I was, yeah, I thought, yep, yeah, this is the right path. And it just grew from there. Within 18 months, people were coming to the garage at home and I said to Mark, we've got to move out. Um, and he was looking for an office. So he, we, we rented a space in Gateway Drive in Nooseville um, and he had the mezzanine and I had the shop down below. And I just opened two days a week when the girls were at daycare. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to work five days. I just wanted to gradually grow. And that's how it did. It grew organically. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then we started opening three days and then four days. And then I employed my friend Kelly, who was a, who's an ex-yachty as well. And she helped me one day a week. And then, yeah, it just grew and grew. And then about year four or five, I decided it was time to rebrand. I needed to rebrand. I needed to take that next step. The girls were at school by this stage. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, yeah, engaged somebody that knew about branding and she did a fantastic job. And we decided to take the website to the next level. And, yeah, so we chose a website like Shopify yes. called Big Commerce uh-huh. and it just went bang. Yeah. And then we ended up moving into a bigger space, three times bigger, and now there's eight of us. Gosh. That's lovely yeah. the way it grows organically because then you can shape it the way you want it to look. And also you, you design uh, it around your life and your lifestyle. You knew what you wanted, what you didn't want as well. So that's that's a great way to, to grow a business. Yeah, and I don't know where those 10 years have gone. Mm. It's just blown by and the girls are growing. And it's like, can you just, I keep saying to them, can you just stop growing? <laughs> I want to enjoy you at this age a little bit longer. You can relate. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can indeed. 
You can indeed. So you yeah. source so much of your product um, of, from Coastal Vintage over in Bali and you go to Bali a couple of times a year to do that. So you, needless to say, over the years, you've gained a lot of insight and knowledge on that mm. the island. So yep. you've recently decided to offer up a range of exclusive bespoke tours to Bali and yep. and they're all around and you can explain a bit bit what what sort of would happen on those tours as well but when you first opened it up those spaces just went in an instant like people went yes please sign me up yep. and yep. this is just another new layer that you can add to your business now because again there's a gap in the market you know you know the place you know the opportunities it can bring for other people to come on so tell me more about that that's I'm just so thrilled for you that you've yeah well I um I've been going to Bali now seven years I've been about 15 16 times I don't really need to go that many times a year but I do because I just simply love it I get there and I'm on the ground from day one but but first you get there and you go have your massage and your nails done first. <laughs> get that out of the way. Yes, well yeah, done. Because it's the, the, the spa that I go to I just love and it's just so beautiful. And then I hit the ground running. I am in and out of the car all day, every day for four or five days, just going from one supplier to another. And so over those seven years I've discovered a huge range of different types of suppliers. So um, not everything um, uh, I can buy, of course, is not for my market. But I thought, well, if I could take people here who also do what I love doing, but they could do their own thing or yes. they could do the same sort of thing as me, there's plenty of room for that, um, you know, then why not show them the different places and where we can go and also show them where I love to go to eat because the food in Bali is amazing as well and my best, you know, a day at the spa or morning at the spa and, and also introduce them to a charity that I support as well, which is the Bali Street Mums. So I met um, Kim Farr seven years ago and she was rescuing kids off, uh, mums and kids off the streets. Oh, wow. Um, and because, um, you know, because they're just, um, they're begging on the streets basically. Yes. So, uh, so she's created a safe house for these women and children and, and taught them skills on how they can support themselves basically mm -hmm. uh, going forward and so I said well what can I do to help and so I ended up buying some dolls and then she introduced them to make um, uh, glasses out of recycled bottles so they go around to the restaurants and tips and and take the glass the bottles and make them into glasses so we sell a lot of those glasses we probably sell two three thousand glasses a year and so that employs about eight women mm -hmm. just for for that and um, we also sell their beaded necklaces as well. And then I sponsor a couple of kids as well. So the boy that I've been sponsoring for seven years, he was 10 at the time when he was found by Kim. She heard that he had been sold by his parents to a farmer and he was locked up in a cage at night time. He was working 10 hours a day. So she went and bought him off the farmer and put him in the safe house. Now, a couple of years ago, he was the second top student in mathematics for his age in Indonesia alone. Oh, isn't that fabulous? Oh, oh isn't that fabulous? I've got goosebumps. That is yeah. just beautiful. Yeah. So she's done, done an incredible job. So I would love to introduce women, you know, the people that come on the tour, a little bit of the story of that as well, because they always need help. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So they, they now have big functions over there in, um, in Bali as well that I've been to as well to raise funds. And during COVID, there was 125 children a day coming to the safe house to be fed. There just wasn't enough food or mum and dad didn't have work yeah uh, yeah, yeah. 
Oh, what a fabulous um, thing to be able to do. And it, yeah, it is a fabulous thing to be able to give back. Yeah. Because yeah. Bali has given me so much. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, well so done. the whole idea of the sourcing trip is for people to come along, either be inspired or actually want to source product for their shops mm. or source product for a project if they're into a designer or stylist or just simply for their own house or just to be inspired because Bali is inspiring. Yes. It is, yeah. Every single shop you walk into is or restaurant or hotel or villa, everything's so beautifully decorated. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's lovely. And I'll, I'll give you an opportunity to, and we'll add that to the show notes as well on how people can find more yes. about those tours because Absolutely. they're all sold out for this year, but you're looking at 2024. Yep. So and have three or four in 2024. Yeah. Oh, and, and, do they and get- I'll keep them small too. So each yes. person may spend a little bit of time. I can answer any questions properly and help yes. them along the way if they need that and also introduce them to um, uh, where they can get their stuff shipped back to Australia and how that's all done. Yep. Yeah. So a lot of the shortcuts that people would only find out. Oh, yeah. Because it does you- take you a long time to yes. find product and yeah get it shipped yeah. back and all those sorts of things because you know I've had trial and area you know I've had lots of products that come in that aren't I couldn't sell or um the wrong the cargo company didn't pack it well so I finally found a great cargo company that packs everything really well and comes in really safely yeah yeah things like that well I wish you all the luck with this next new venture because it's you don't need any luck no that's probably the wrong word I wish you uh continued growth in this next area it's <laughs> <laughs> wonderful I will definitely have to come with one day because I've not been to Bali yet and it's one of those things that, yeah, one of the islands I'd love to go and visit. Yeah, Mm. special place. Now, Sal, this time of life is full of lots of opportunities and you're obviously seizing the ones um, that Mm -hmm. are coming your way as well. What are some of the maybe the the good and not so good things that you're noticing happening in the middle of life for you at the moment? I really miss being 35 physically. I loved being strong so um, and fit. It's not as easy anymore to keep that strength and fitness. I really miss that, to be perfectly honest. So who doesn't? Um, uh, I'm finding, um, I, I think I've been in perimenopause now for seven, eight years, easy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have permanent hot feet. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I don't get you the You can have my cold feet any day. Feet. I'm happy. I'm happy. Because I, I wish my, my feet are always bloody cold. So I'm, I'll happily do a swap for yeah. you. <laughs> um, yeah, but, I mean, it hasn't been too bad for me. I don't think this phase of life changes. Mm-hmm. I don't uh, care what people think anymore. Isn't that funny? I think when you turn, in, when you turn 50 and you're in your 50s or mm-hmm. even earlier, you just don't give a damn anymore about no. what other people think. No. As long as I, I've got my tribe, you know. And I know who my real friends are. Yeah. yeah. That's important. That's really important. Yes. And I've got a great partner. And, mm. I think that's really, and happy kids. And that's all I want. Oh, well, if you're ticking all the main boxes. Yeah. 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 Even if you do make noises getting out of a chair now, at least you. Exactly. <laughs> you, you, you're given that gift, but you, then you've got the gift of really not worrying about it too much and yeah, overthinking yeah. it. So that's pretty good. Yeah. What are you most yeah. looking forward to in this stage of life? Oh, uh, um. What am I looking forward to? I'd like some more time for me, um, definitely. That that will come soon, hopefully, um, make some life changes and spending more time with the family because, you know, the last 
10 years have gone so quick with the kids. Mm. We just want to spend more time with the kids. So we're doing, we've always been great holiday makers. We always go away and do things together. We've got a boat, so we go out boating a lot, just spending more time with the girls and being there for them for, you know, what they need, particularly with school and that sort of thing. Emily will be going off to New Caledonia in year nine or year 10 to study because she's studying French at school. So I said, but if you ever need to go to Paris, I'll take you. That's no problem. <laughs> Do a quick detour in New Caledonia and then fly Yeah, off. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. lovely. So more more travel on the horizon then for you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if the tourism Bali is successful, I would love to broaden that. Definitely. Yes. You know, France, Vietnam, all different places. Yeah. You know, sourcing and... Yeah, that sort yeah. of thing. Why not? I would like to sleep a little bit more through the night without waking yeah. up at two a.m. I have some good nights and some bad nights. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. You're speaking my language, Sal. Yeah, but I think I think for me, exercise every day. If I just yeah. go and have my walk, I find it really meditative. Mm. In the morning or evening, it doesn't matter. As long as mm. I get my 35, 40 minute walk, yep. I find it. And, and Mark comes a lot with me now. We walk together, and that's when we can talk mm. without inter- interruption or we talk about our day. We really yeah. find that it's really Lovely. good. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a special time that you can have together. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, so how can we'll, we'll wrap it up now? So, how can people find and connect you apart from looking in the show notes? If they don't go there, where can they mm-hmm. find you? Uh, they can find me on Coastal Vintage on Instagram. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, on the website. Yep, definitely. and the website is coastalvintage. just coastalvintage.au. Yep. Okay, so add the AU to the end of yours. Definitely, yep. And yep. on Facebook as well? On Facebook, yep, Coastal Vintage 1 it is. Yep. Okay, and all of the details if for any up, if anyone's interested in what your shop looks like, the beautiful things yep. that you've got there, or the upcoming tours for next year, or if they just want to have all a look at it. Um, yeah. All on there. Yep. Lovely. Oh, yeah. right. We'll wrap it up with our final oh, question. If you can look into the future, Sal, yep. what do you hope 80 year old Sally will say about current day Sally? Oh, uh, oh, she's excited about the future. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, excited about the the potential travel that's coming up no 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 no. what is what is 80 year old sally going to say oh. well maybe she is maybe yeah. but what mm-hmm. what's 80 year old sally saying about current day sally oh keep exercising and eating <gasps> well because i really want to live a long time <laughs> yes um yeah i just read an article on bob and the other day he's 90 years old and he runs every day six days a week does his exercises swims and on day seven he goes golfing. He looks 65. Wow. He's 90 years old. I would love to be able to be that physically. Yeah. That's inspiring for me. It is. So keep moving, basically, she'll keep say. Keep moving. Yeah. yeah. Keep moving. Beautiful. And, and be happy. Great. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Sal. Yeah. Really thanks, Joy. Having this chat with you. Yeah. See you. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening and sharing your time with me today. I'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcast or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star rating and review. To keep spreading these empowering messages, please share this podcast with other incredible midlife women in your world. On socials, you can find me on Instagram and Pinterest at Jo Clark Coaching. I'd also like to invite you to join my private Facebook group, Women's Wellness Collective. 
You can also head to my website at joeclarkcoaching.com for more information. All the links mentioned in today's episode can be found in the show notes. Join me again next week for another redefining midlife conversation. Thanks again for tuning in.